Hello, everybody. You are listening to Limited Playtime, the board game podcast where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Where the next episode is free. I'm Kyle Bolin. And I am Jason Cavallari. And uh, Jason's very subdued right now because it is uh, morning time. Not early morning time, mind (laughs) you. Just morning time. It's early morning time for me. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yesterday Mm -hmm. I got up at 11. (laughs) This is like where I start checking the time and wondering if McDonald's is about to shut down breakfast, but okay. (laughs) McDonald's serves breakfast all day now. I know, I know, I know, but like not okay. the whole menu, and also like you know, I lived through the those horrible, horrible years where they did not do that. So yeah, and sometimes you need a McGriddle or a you know something. Yeah, egg McMuffin. I, I remember it was like four fifty a.m. and me and my Canadian friends who were driving to Gen Con were like oh. desperately waiting for McDonald's to open. So we I thought you were thought you were going to tell some like ancient story about high school or something. You're talking about like three months ago. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> This is August. <laughs> yeah. This is our 90th episode, everybody. Yay! Yeah, we made it to another uh, divisible by 10 number, so that's great. Uh, yeah. And as everyone knows, we uh, relax our typical rule structure for this podcast, and we often do things that are not just a review of a single game, and we are doing that today. We are doing our top 10 games that were new to us in 2019. Party! We did this- yeah, we did this towards the end of the year in 2018, where we talked about the top 10 games to us that were new to us, not necessarily new to everybody. Uh, some of them are, some of them aren't, uh, but were new to us. Things that we tried this year that we want to highlight as our favorite experiences of the year. Um, and we've defined this basically as anything that we got from Christmas of 2018 until now. Uh, because when we did the episode last year, that was before Christmas, so we couldn't have considered any of the games that we might have gotten for Christmas that year. So anything we got from Christmas last year up until now is eligible. Basically, I just kind of want to explain my thought process as briefly as possible. When I'm putting this list together, I'm kind of thinking about the, how I remember the impact when I played the game. Uh, so if it's something that I haven't played since January, I'm trying to remember as best I can, like, how did I feel at the time? How excited was I to learn the game, to play the game? Uh, how excited was I to continue playing the game? How excited am I, how excited am I right now to play the game again? Uh, those are a lot of the things that I'm, I'm looking at when I'm deciding this list. Like, you know, how innovative did I feel it was? Things like that, right? Like, the just overall impact, uh, oftentimes my excitement for the game at the time and my continuing excitement for the game often plays into how I weight it on this list and whether or not it even makes the list. How, how What's your process, Jason? Uh, well, basically, I just take all the games that I have played that were new to me, um, and then I sort of proto-rank them um, according to what I think is going to happen, and then I use that uh, that website thing that compares. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. The, yep. the, the pub meeple ranking engine is yeah, very yeah, useful for these sorts yeah. of things, for deciding, hey, do I prefer this or that? Yeah. Uh, and then ranking them for you. That's that's a nice thing. So uh, shout out to them for uh, making that available to everybody. Uh, you can Google that and find a pub meeple ranking engine. Uh, and you can use it for anything. So there yeah. you go. And a lot of times I'm actually surprised at what it comes up with because my proto ranking, you know, has it one way. And then 
Yeah, I've got a game on this list that I did not even consider putting on a top 10 list. And then when I when, when it comes down to actually sitting down and thinking, would I rather play this or that? Am I more excited about this or that? Oftentimes, you come out with one or two surprises that you would have never considered uh, just on your own, you know? Yeah, Because totally. um, they, they're not always the most salient things, but when you, like, make an exhaustive list of, like, 40 games that you played this year and then, you know, like, start deciding this or that, uh, you come out with some surprises, which is a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, should we get started? Sure. All right, Jason, you want to start us off? Sure. Number 10. Okay, number 10. My number 10 for me is uh, Black Angel. Okay. Uh, we talked about this one recently on the podcast, um, and I think the impression that we left was one kind of like, ah, hey, I don't know how I feel about this. But um, I think the reason it ended up at number 10, at least, was because I really am intrigued to play it more um, mm-hmm. and sort of get more into it and, and figure it out a little bit more. Um, and I think it's uh, it, it's definitely a Euro game, but it's one that sort of includes a lot of, um, a lot of, not necessarily mechanics, but mechanics used in, in different and new ways that I think is, is interesting and warrants further play. It definitely plays more, it plays differently than a lot of the other games that we've played in that space, in the Euro mm-hmm. space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's, I think it's engaging, um, in, and not in the way that I typically like, which is like, Ooh, yeah, I want to play with cool minis and like fight wars and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's engaging in the sense that it's like sort of a huge puzzle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but not again, not in the way like Santorini that we just talked about. That's like, like really a puzzle game. Um, you know, it's, it's just sort of, it's a puzzle where the different puzzle pieces uh sort not only link together but they sort of interact and like have this this organic kind of weird relationship with each other and it's figuring out that how all those those different pieces do that that I think is really appealing to me. Yeah. I enjoyed that game quite a bit. I had a, a pretty passionate um passionate time with it upon bringing it home for a while you know i played a lot of solo games with it probably like seven or eight solo games before we you know did a couple more like one or two more uh online games where we played with tabletop simulator competitively yeah uh i i kind of found that it kind of waned for me as i played more and more of it but i think part of that was just that like the mechanics started to feel less mysterious and more familiar mm-hmm. and there's you know, only so many of them in there, even though they work in a very unique way, which makes it special and makes it, you know, it, sh- it does stand out among a lot of other Euros that share many mechanics and use them in very similar ways. Um, but, you know, it's one that I, I want to go back to sometime probably in 2020 and, and, and play with other people again. But I think maybe I've shelved it now for as far as solo play goes. Yeah. So it, it did not make the cut for me on this list, but uh, I think that it's definitely worthy of a spot on a list for this year because it definitely does some things that are very cool. Uh, you know, like we like the artwork and the graphic design quite a bit. Oh, yeah. uh, definitely worth a look if you're interested in a game that, you know, fits the description. So Sure. Okay, yep. Kyle, number 10. Number 10 was my big surprise. I didn't even consider this game until I used the the, the ranking engine because, I, yeah. you know, it was on my list of like, you know, 35 games or whatever that I ranked. And that is Mythic Battles Pantheon. Oh, hey. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I came away from this game feeling like, okay, like this was very clearly like just like uh, very closely related in terms of how it plays mechanically and, you know, even thematically. It just overall has a very similar feeling to me as something like Battle Lore 
which, yeah. you know, I'm on record many times as saying that I'm a big fan of the Commands and Colors series. I'm a big fan of chess. I'm a big fan of, like, head-to-head, you know, uh, battling sort of games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, competitive games. Sure. Uh, and, and this was that, but with, like, tons of theme involved as well. And mechanically, it is different than, uh, you know, there's, there's mechanical differences between it and a Commands and Colors games, even though there's also similarities. Um, and, and I believe that, like, you know, there's big enough differences between those two systems that you could easily play both of them just depending on which mood you're in at the time. And so I came away from when I came home from Boston back in March after we had played this game, it was one of those games where I got immediately got online and was like, so how expensive would this be for me to get now? Because I kind (laughs) of love it. You know, like I kind of want to play more of it. And of course, you know, like it's, you know, in between print runs or whatever. And so it's super expensive. And I was just like, okay, I think I'll just wait for the, uh, you know, the the next version to come out, the Ragnarok version and and maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe jump in on that or something like that. But it definitely surprised me how much I enjoyed it, regardless of the fact that it kind of like sputtered for me at the end in terms of like the actual mechanics. Um, You know, I was, I was playing that, that strategy where I was trying to get like the last card or whatever out of my deck in order to eat the last uh, God booger or whatever. Yeah. 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 And uh, (laughs) it didn't work out for me, but like, you know, up until that point, it was, it was really running full steam for me as far as like a, a a head to head sort of like, you know, um, strategic, well, more tactical uh, combat combat game goes mm-hmm. uh I, I really enjoyed it i really you know like the components are phenomenal top shelf and you know i'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, having an opportunity to maybe grab a copy of my own later on down the road but that was my 10th game of the year apparently oh cool that makes me happy yeah <laughs> i mean it, play again <laughs> i feel like it's even more in my wheelhouse than it is yours in some way just because like you don't seem to have as much like affinity for that sort of a head-to-head combat game, um, you know, like like since you don't yeah. like commands and colors and everything, like I was surprised that that was something that you were as excited about uh, since we've had these conversations about that system in the past. And yeah. I know that there's little differences, but I mean, the, 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 the thing about like needing the exact card you need for the situation you're in, that has always been one of your criticisms of commands and colors. And it's, it's yeah. a fair criticism, but it's the same, you can use that same criticism for Mythic Battles. Yeah, I know. And it still does bother me in Mythic Battles, but I think the the thing about, uh, about Mythic Battles that I like is is I think that the individual units are more interesting, um, fun. But yeah, they're more interesting. Yeah. They have different mechanics. They're sort of you know, it's <clears throat> there's a little more depth to them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, they're more complicated. Sure. But which which can be you know like if you don't like that, then you know that's not going to appeal to you. But I like it both ways, so it works for me. You know, <laughs> so cool. yeah. All right, what's your ninth game of the year, Jason? Okay, so number nine for me was Unmatched. <laughs> nice. Um, this game is just, I mean, it's just really fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, you know, being able to uh, play as, like, whatever, Bigfoot, uh, Bruce <laughs> Lee, Robin Hood, I, I mean, like, basically anything, um, <clears throat> is 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 just really kind of fun. And, and and it's not, like, a huge sprawling game. I mean, the, it's it's sort of like a... Um, you know, it's a one-on-one, you know, head versus, you know, it, mano a mano kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a really small, um, sort of table presence wise, but, um, so it doesn't have that huge grand thing that I, you know, the visual thing that I like, but I think the gameplay is intriguing enough and, and fun enough basically to, uh, to just, you know, really give you that sense of like, you know, where we got two dudes in a boxing match or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also like the idea that it's sort of infinitely expandable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we have centuries worth of human endeavor, uh, you know, creating characters to choose from. Um, so I really hope that they make use of that. Do like and Grendel also, and Beowulf eventually. And... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, you know, what the heck we could, you know, 
picked uh, Mickey Mouse versus uh, Skeletor. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, those are property things, but yeah, um, <laughs> but you get the idea. I mean, uh, so yeah, and I think at least the ones, the one that I played, I played as Bigfoot. I think um, the gameplay was distinct enough to that particular character um, that I think you could have like a lot of replayability with it if you play different characters. Definitely. Um, you know, I haven't played them all, so I don't know how they all play, but I, I'm assuming that they're all sort of as distinct as that one. The three that I've played are. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was my number nine. I had a really good time playing that game. It's a, it's a cool game. It, it I feel like it does a great job of distilling what a lot of other board games do in bigger, more complicated experiences down oh, yeah. into a more manageable, tighter experience in a lot of ways. And I feel like it, it is a champion at what it does. It is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. True. My number nine is Brass Birmingham. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Uh, this is pretty heavy economic Euro game. Uh, we reviewed it earlier in the year. We played it at, at Jason Con back in March. Um, and I, I, I if you want to know like our full thoughts, you can go back and listen to that. Um, you know, my my comment on it here is just that it never was a game that I stopped thinking about this entire <laughs> year. It was a game that I rarely got to play because it's so heavy and so competitive. But it's one of those games that I just have a constant urge to go back to and explore some more and play. And, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to play that with somebody who's willing to jump into, you know, a two and a half hour heavy economic Euro game that's all smoky and dark, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be excited to do that. It's just that my only opportunity to do that or like when I'm with somebody like Jason who's just willing to indulge me or whatever because my wife's <laughs> not going to do it that's way too competitive and, and and you know not up her not up her alley so yeah. um, but it's a game that I, I love looking at I love you know the components I love the artwork on the cards I love the mechanics um, and, and it just really struck me as a heavy thinky Euro that um, I don't know it does something for me this year that not a lot of other Euro games did um, you know it left me kind of like exhausted and confused sometimes at the end of a, of a session because it is so in demanding in terms of the amount of like thought process that it demands of you in order to play the game and succeed yeah. um, but uh, there was just this, there's this little part of me that just loves that and so it, it hit number nine for me on on this list of 2019 new games to me. Uh, mm. So there it is. Brass Birmingham. I highly recommend it. If you're into a heavier economic Euro, go find it or, you know, good luck. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> yeah. in between print runs right now. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, It'll be back. Interestingly, like that, it, it, that doesn't, it, it's not my usual type of game, but um, I think you'll be surprised to see that it appears on my list. At, at okay. Some point. <laughs> yeah. So what's yeah. your number nine then? Uh, Wait, we just did your number nine. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Your number eight, then. <laughs> okay, so my number eight was uh, Blood on the Clock Tower. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I know. <laughs> um. So, I mean, on its face, like, this should just be, like, one of those stupid, like, you know, werewolf, mafia, whatever things that you can play with a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think that the care that they've taken to create... I don't even know how many different roles, like at least 20 different roles um, and make sure that they all sort of interconnect or affect the game in a specific way um, leads to a much more sort of intense experience playing this game. Um, now, granted, I've only played it once, you know, played it at Gen Con um, and the, it was like a full, you know, a full group. I don't remember how many people there were there, but it was Eight, a lot. Maybe. 
so i mean so i'm i'm pretty sure like you wouldn't have that experience every time you play it but the experience that i had when we played it was really 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 fun um and it's certainly a game that i would like to try to play again at some point as far as you know what well i mean i don't know how to talk about this really but um but i mean i think just the the experience of playing it i think is the whole bang for the buck there Um, just just like many other social deduction games yeah exactly um but i think it's distinct enough from those other uh games to make it for me at least if i'm going to play a social deduction game like this is the one i want to play yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently for some reason, and um, the the thing about this game is that like it is more complicated in terms of its design and the roles that exist and everything to a point where it is elevated in terms of its relation to uh, you know relative to its contemporaries, relative to Werewolf, relative to Mafia, relative to any of the other games that we've played that are these social deduction games. It is it is an elevated one of those, or it elevates the genre in a lot of ways because it is designed, it is further designed, it takes the design a step further than those games do and making sure that there is you know so many variables involved in terms of which characters could be in the game Mm -hmm. that you think are in the game but aren't necessarily in the game and how all of that affects what might be true at any given time um i believe that it elevates that genre or takes it one step further it's special it is absolutely um, and so I, I see that as something that it's worth calling out and saying that this is really special in terms of the design. Our criticism back on the Gen Con podcast was that we still didn't see how it justifies a $90 price tag. Even It, it is the best of its genre, but it still yeah. feels to us like $90 is too expensive, um, which has been a point of contention, right, among like the people that defend the game and the people that also are critical of that point. You know, like they feel like $90 is just too expensive. You know, because for Jason and I, we play a lot of games that have, you know, lots of components that are, you know, immediately involved in the game, and the production cost of the co- those components are oftentimes more obvious. Um, yeah. This game doesn't have an obvious, like, component part that, like justifies $90 price tag, uh, at least to us immediately. And that's been sort of a, a conversation point that we've had very recently. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, though, the game is phenomenal and definitely worth seeking out if you have an opportunity to play it with a big enough group. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's precisely sort of what I was trying to dance around because I didn't know if we were going to talk about that right now. But I think we might as well, you know, like yeah. we, we we heard from the publisher. They said that they didn't understand how we could say it's like one of the best games we had uh, a time with at Gen Con, one of the best in the in the genre, but also complain about the $90 price tag. And I think for us, it's just that it, it just, it's a feeling thing. You're like, you like, when you look at the game, you, you look at the rule set, there's not an immediate thing there that strikes you as, okay, I should pay a lot of money for this, you know? Like, right, it, yeah. it feels like going to an experience, going and having an experience that you pay some money for, but usually there's an upper limit on how much I'm willing to pay for a social experience. And that's what this largely feels like. So right, yeah. um, that's sort of, I guess that's sort of our response in a nutshell, or maybe a shattered nutshell or something. I don't know. 
<laughs> shattered nutshell. Yeah, I don't think it was a nutshell. It was a little bit more. It was we were probably a little bit uh, long winded with to call it a right. nutshell. But yeah. So anyway, yep. Like a coconut shell. Okay. Yes, blood yeah, on the clock tower. Uh, worth trying. Uh, as far as the cost goes, I think that you know you're going to have to decide whether or not that's worth it to you. I, I think I suggested on the last podcast that we talked about it that it would be worth having a group go in and, and chip in. Uh, you know, like 10, 20 bucks for whatever and get everybody to chip in and buy a copy if you want to have like a nice, well-produced copy that the, the publisher made. Um, and yeah. I, I still stand behind that. I think that that would totally be worth it. Um, and there's no reason why – there's no reason why it wouldn't be worth just ha- having like a, a you know, grouply – group-owned version of the game because um, you're going to need a lot yeah, of people yeah, to get I mean, together and play, play it, it anyway. It, yeah. So, yeah, it's not like one person's going to hold on to the copy and get to use it when nobody else is around, you know? Yeah. Um, so that that would be my suggestion for that. So Number eight uh, – on my list is Nemesis, uh, oh. which, yeah, there might be a little bit of a recency effect going on here because I've just got the game like two or three weeks ago. Nemesis is basically an unlicensed game of Alien, like, you know, the uh, the Ridley Scott Alien from 1978 mm. or whatever. Uh, you are a passenger on a ship that has woken up from cryosleep and you wake up and there's a body next to you in the, the cryosleep chamber that has a big hole in its chest. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Um <laughs> Basically, the game is a co-op or semi-co-op version of Alien, where you are running around the ship trying to achieve a set of objectives while trying to avoid detection by the aliens that are chasing you around the ship, possibly fight them toe-to-toe if you find yourself faced with one within a room or escape, and you're trying to accomplish these objectives before the end of the game, which can occur when the ship either auto-jumps to its destination, which you may not know where it's going, or it may not go because the engines are broken and it just blows up. Like, there's a lot of, like, variables within this game like the engines are broken or unbroken when the game starts uh the ship is aimed at a destination but you don't know exactly where it's at you also don't know where everybody wants to go because when you're playing this game uh people have if you're playing the semi-co-op version people are going to have different objectives that are sometimes uh counterproductive to other people's objectives like i might want to take a sample of an alien uh to mars right and you want to get back to earth and so we might like not know each other's objectives but be fighting secretly over where we're trying to aim the ship at right Mm-hmm. And you're running around the ship, uh, basically like exploring the ship. You don't know where, you don't know what each room is on the ship. Like it can be a shower where you can like, you know, wash slime off of yourself if you got slimed. Uh, you know, it could be an armory where you can like rearm your weapons and, and so on and so on. There's like, you know, like probably like two dozen rooms in the game or something like that, potentially. Uh, because you also shuffle up the rooms and some don't get used in, in every game. Um, but basically, I've played three games this year, three games that were new to me this year that in some way or another sort of emulate the experience of the alien movies i played legendary alien encounters which uses the legendary system to try to emulate the actual alien movies and it's a fun game uh but it's still legendary which as you know we've been on record as saying it's a deck builder with sort of pasted on mechanics and the legendary alien game it's a little better than that in terms of emulating the theme but not a lot better than that in terms of emulating the theme for me we played Anomaly, which isn't a direct, um, you know, like emulation of the Alien yeah. films. It doesn't directly ape that, but it is, you know, like in that wheelhouse, right? It's in the ballpark. And it's a fun game, uh, but it's strictly competitive and it's pretty limited in terms of the player count, which for me is a little bit of an issue because you can't play it fully co-op and because I very rarely have a group that is exactly four people. Uh, my typical competitive gaming group is five. So Anomaly still hasn't been played uh, mm-hmm. with that gaming group. It's I've had to like go out of my way to find like, you know, like I, uh, our friend Sonny played with me one time, you know, we've played. Um, so I haven't gotten many opportunities to get Anomaly out there. But Nemesis, 
I can play that fully co-op because there's like a fully co-op deck you can play with your like I've played that with my wife a couple times now I've played it completely solo which also works um, and I'm really looking forward to playing it competitively but having said I still haven't done that I think it's only going to reach 8 on my list but it exceeds phenomenally at creating the tension that you experience when watching an alien film um, at creating the excitement when you finally kill one because it feels like sort of a long shot whenever you do um, <laughs> it's just it's just phenomenal it, it, it replicates that experience better than the other two games that I've tried this year as far as being an alien game you know like a Fox Pictures whatever alien right, yeah. game um, it's phenomenal and I was specifically looking for that for some reason this year and I finally found it and I'm pretty happy with it so <laughs> oh, well, also it's expensive real expensive and it's but it's super well produced it may be overpriced for what it is still I, I feel like you know it's 150 retail um, wow. yeah uh, it was one of those kickstarters uh, but you know if you're hard up for an alien game you can't do much better than this so there it is <laughs> awesome and yeah. it was recently featured i believe on south park i heard that yeah i haven't seen it though <laughs> i haven't watched south park in a long time but yeah all right number seven jason all right so number seven for me was my own entry in the commands and colors sort of thing which is red alert oh man oh <laughs> <sighs> uh, i'm actually surprised at how like how high up the list this one ended up um, i'm a little surprised too yeah I mean, I really, I, I think part of it was just because we played it that one time and it was really fun. <laughs> it is really fun. We had a lot of fun with it. We did. It might have had to do with the uh, the specific situation with like, you know, uh, the guy from, uh, was it P PSC? Uh, PSC? PCS? I'm not sure. The people that pr- produced the game, uh, he, the guy that was there was really cool. Really cool guy that was yeah. playing with us at Gen yeah. Con. Um, he was a lot of fun. Uh, so we were playing, you know, like two on two, and and I feel like that experience, while not necessarily being like the um like the typical experience of a Commands and Colors game, it really worked for the con, right? It really worked for the convention yeah. show where yeah. we were kind of like you know working in tandem, having conversations about this, and then like you know kind of like waiting with like holding your breath, rolling the dice, and just waiting for that thing that's <laughs> are we gonna lose our big destroyer? That's gonna mean like the, like we're just completely screwed here. Um, and and those moments were like really exciting in that game and having somebody to be worried with or excited with uh really helped i think in that in that situation yeah i mean i think that's kind of why it ended up uh, on my list was that uh you know i've you know i've played battle lore like it's just fine um uh i haven't played the actual like original commands and color stuff but um but you know I, you know i've played this type of game we talked about mythic battles pantheon a little bit earlier um and the mechanics are fine but i think the thing that made this one stand out for me was that was the sort of the tension and expectation (laughs) that was riding on almost every single decision that we had to make a lot of the tension also was baked into the game mechanics because like we said on the podcast where we talked about on the gen con podcast previous versions of commands and colors that we've played did not have point values like variable point values assigned to the units. And in this one, there was. And that meant that there was specific tension around losing specific types of units. That's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and plus it was just epic. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a big epic game. Yeah, Yeah. It feels like a massive space war, yeah. Um, And we got to meet Richard Borg. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Jolly fellow. Yeah, jolly fellow. So, I mean, it just made for one, one singular, like, really fun gaming experience and i think that's why it uh, sticks out in my mind it's probably also why i would like to play it some more um further repeated plays might move this down the list a little bit but um (laughs) at the moment i it's definitely on there 
they gave us some free ships uh, when we they were did. there to like, and, and I've still got them like in my little like holding area where I put like you know just loose components that don't match anything in my closet, um, yeah, just in case because I don't have the game, but uh, I haven't ruled it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was a good time. Okay. Uh, my seventh is Gaia Project, the Ooh, game yeah. we recently reviewed that is a follow up to Terra Mystica. Uh, I love it for all the reasons stated there. It's sort of like Brass Birmingham, another Euro that just sort of like I'm always kind of thinking about it in the back of my mind. I'd like to play it some more. And this one creeps up the list a little bit further because it does have um, an Automa deck, right? Uh, made by Automa Factory, yeah. the same people that do solitaire versions of like um, uh, the Stonemire games. So Scythe, I think they have one for Viticulture, right? Yeah. Uh, there's they, they made a deck for Wingspan. Uh, so I've been able to play Gaia Project uh, quite Tapestry a few times. Yep, Tapestry has one. Uh, I've been able to play this game quite a few times solitaire, and it's a fun experience solitaire. The rule set for that one is a little bit more confusing for me than some of the other Automa deck uh, solitaire games. Uh, I finally got it down, but it took a while, longer than usual. Uh, so it doesn't get the highest marks, but it gets pretty high marks. Uh, in addition to, I think, being a phenomenal competitive game that plays excellently at all player counts that I've played it at. So, like, I've loved it at two players. We played it three players with Jason and Phil and I, and um, I, I imagine it would probably start to slow down a little bit at four or five, uh, but at those, I guess, so not all player counts, but, like, at the, uh, you know, like, two to three player count that I usually play at, uh, I've really enjoyed it. The components are phenomenal. The artwork works for me, um, and it just feels like a real good evolution of what was started with Terra Mystica. I love the way they've consolidated a lot of the mechanics in ways that make them more meaningful and important. Um, so for me, it's just sort of a, it, it's one of those home run euros, not necessarily the best that I've ever played, but definitely <laughs> one of the best this year. Um, definitely one of my favorites of all time. If I was going to do like a top 50, I think it'd be there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to going back at least a few more times, uh, at least like one more, two more times this year. I've got it on my top, my 10 by 10 board this year. So I've got to go back. I'm obligated, uh, but I'm, I'm I definitely enjoy it every time I, I go back and, and mess with it. It's uh, every different race works a little bit differently and, and feels like a little bit its own little puzzle. So um, that's my number seven. Yay! Guy number six, dick. Jason. Okay, so number six for me is Everdell. Oh, okay. I haven't played this, so I can't I can't even weigh in on this one. You're gonna have to tell me all about it. So Everdell is um, so it's it's sort of like root, I guess, and it's um, sort of conceit in that you're sort of you're an animal <laughs> yeah you're an animal in like a woodland setting um although you're not there there's not different like factions or anything you don't have like powers or anything like that you're just an animal um and essentially it's sort of like a, a resource economic engine uh kind of game but the the way that it works is really kind of intriguing to me there's a lot of sort of uh what kyle calls um Oh, what do you call those games? Conversion mechanic games. Yeah, conversion mechanic games. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that within that, and it's necessary to do those kind of conversion things to make your economic engine run. Um, the the sort of overall feel of the game is really cute. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of like almost it's bordering on like annoyingly adorable, um, <laughs> but it doesn't quite cross over the line. I mean, it's just sort of, and the, the economic things that you use are like sticks and berries and stones and like, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> there's uh different card mechanics um, that uh, not only do you sort of like build your own little tableau of uh, like 
like woodland personalities and different types of structures and stuff that end up in your in your tableau but then there's also card mechanics that are involved like in the general uh the general state of the board that you're all existing in so that sort of change how certain how certain segments of the board and and their accompanying mechanics work and so on and so forth is there Um, like is there like an engine building component to it yeah kind of yeah um yeah so the cards that you can put in your tableau contribute to your your economic engine okay i mean essentially it's i it's building up to like a point thing you know you win by points but um but part of that is you have to manage um getting enough resources to be able to do the things that you need to do and part of that is building your tableau so that you can get those resources more effectively you can get them from the board certainly but it's much easier and um uh, more lucrative um if you build up your little own society along with a lot of the other things that those things will offer you as well mm-hmm. um and then there's a there's also like a, a kind of clock like mechanic where like at every every so many intervals like something major is going to happen that sort of changes the state of the game like either you know this thing is going to go away or they'll add something new or okay, so there's you know, a little bit of like tension there yeah yeah that's cool um and plus and the game looks really cool um I it mean, looks most, phenomenal yeah the most notable thing about it is the sort of cardboard tree that right. comes with it uh which you actually don't need to play the game like it's you can <laughs> do it without it <laughs> it's entirely cosmetic yeah it's entirely cosmetic but oh. it's kind of, but it's really cool i mean yeah. it looks nice okay um all the little different resource pieces are really neat uh, like mm-hmm. the berries are like these little purple like rubber balls <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of cool the only cool. thing that's annoying about it is that the sticks are actually like little cylinders and they tend to roll all over the place. But Okay. Yeah. Well, that's but what gaming fun. trays are for. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind trying that one. Uh, My sixth game uh, kind of sounds a little similar. It's Wingspan. Ooh. So, you know, a tableau engine builder that involves woodland animals in this uh, this example only birds um but you know like they are the, the artwork is phenomenal we talked about this one recently as well so you yeah. know like a little bit of a recency effect maybe but i feel like this is one of the um the way we talked about unmatched i feel like is a good way to describe wingspan where it takes the greater engine building euro games out there and distills it down into the parts that work the best and making it a tight experience that works every time um it takes, you know, like, I, I made some comparisons to Terra Mystica, or sorry, not Terra Mystica, Terraforming Mars, which is a grand, you know, uh, epic sort of uh, engine building experience, but oftentimes the engine kind of sputters and dies, or just like, you know, stalls out for, you know, like 30 minutes at a time or something like that. And it tends to be a very long game. Uh, it tends to be a very uneven game, and I feel like a lot of that is fixed with the way that Wingspan hones all of those sorts of mechanics of engine building down into something more manageable, uh, uh, and also much more effective. Uh, mm-hmm. Very seldom do you find yourself with cards that don't synergize well. Uh, or very uh, seldom do you find yourself unable to find cards that synergize well. So for me, it, it was sort of a revelation in engine building Euro games uh, this year, in addition to having top-notch components that just make it a joy to interact with physically. Mm. Also, it has a great solitaire deck. So if you like playing solitaire rules, uh, it works real, real well for that, which, you know, is a huge plus for me. Uh, I'm always going to have I'm always going to have like a huge skew for games that work solitaire or, you know, like one on one co-op. So uh, that's just my situation. So that's going to be <laughs> that's always going to play into my preferences on these lists or just in terms of yeah. how much I enjoy games. So wingspan. 
Yep. <laughs> All um, right. We'll be hearing a little more about that. A little I'm sure we will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, number five, Jason. What's your number five? Okay. So my number five is a game that I don't think we've talked. No, we haven't talked about. It's uh, from White Wizard Games. It's Sorcerer. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of a duck builder, but not really. Um, and it's a duel, like you, you, it's a two player game, uh, and you face off with somebody else. Essentially what you do is you take, um, three different types of decks. You take a, like a character deck, a location deck, and then like a school of magic deck. Um, and there are several that you can choose from. And basically you, they're sort of, well, you don't actually choose. It's randomized. Um, so you, you will get you know, how many ever, however many permutations and combinations you can get of characters, uh, locations and schools of magic. Uh, and then once you have yours, um, you take the three decks associated with those three different attributes and you shuffle them together. And then that's your, that's your dude that you play with. That's your, you know, that's your character. Um, and then the other person does the same thing with theirs. And so every time you play, you can have sort of a different combination of, um, of those three characteristics and the accompanying cards and abilities and stuff that come with them. Um, so for example, I ended up with, I think like a vampiric, uh, it was, it was some kind of demon that, uh, practiced, uh, like blood magic, like vampiric magic. Uh, and he came from uh, like some kind of like city world. So he was like a, an urban vampire demon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and essentially you do battle with your opponent over various regions um of the city i think it's set in london to destroy them um and once you destroy two out of the three segments if you you're the one that destroys it you get the point so if you destroy destroy two out of the three segments you win the game it's really it's really fun um and for me it's it's incredibly engaging because of the way that every time you put a new deck together you have to figure out like how you can make those three portions work together Mm -hmm. um and uh and and then also how effectively they can be used against your opponent's uh you know accompanying uh deck of three you know three situations there <clears throat> um so it's always sort of like a new uh new experience and it plays relatively fast it's pretty easy to pick up and learn um but sort of again for me sort of infinitely replayable um and uh, and engaging to try and figure out each time you play it. It appeals to the Magic the Gathering player inside of you too. I'm sure. Yeah, it, sort right? of. Yeah, yeah, except you don't really have like in in MTG you can you build your deck from the ground. Sure, up, like, sure, sure, sure. But like, there's I'm sure like you know like it's kind of like tugging on those strings a little bit inside of oh, you yeah. that, that yeah, resonate yeah. with those types of games. So definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, where are we at? Number five, five right? Yep. Uh, my fifth game is Root. Uh, a very popular game with woodland animals. Apparently there's several of those on our list this year for some reason. Yeah, uh, a theme. What's that? <laughs> sensing a theme. Yeah. Um, yeah, Root is another one of those games that uh, it had a lot of hype behind it, and it was one of those games, like Wingspan, that lived up to the hype for me. Uh, we've played it competitively several times, and it's always a super tight experience with like uh, really interesting ways in which the um, asymmetrical factions work together, and in some ways 
ways oftentimes like you know affect each other in like not necessarily a symbiotic way but definitely like an organic way like it, it feels like there's an ecosystem on the board uh and in some ways the different factions emulate that and that's always very fascinating to me um i love playing with the riverfolk expansion because i think the otters add so much to the game and i would highly recommend getting that if you can in order to play the game competitively i think that the otters are like the otters for me are like so integral to like enjoying the game to its fullest that i almost recommend waiting to play the game until you can play with the otters involved <laughs> um you know obviously well uh, not obviously but i mean like you know i also in addition to that i think that you need to know that they probably need to be played in like at least a three-player game you wouldn't want to play like a two-player game of otters versus somebody else because they are almost like um in some ways like a third party to the other any other two parties that would be warring in some ways because you can hire them as mercenaries or ferry you up the river or whatever but they're also very interesting to play in their own right um competitively so uh that's been fascinating in addition to that it comes with uh well i guess the the river folk expansion comes with uh an automa uh character so i have played solo some um there's a new expansion coming out soon and i have purchased the extra automa decks for or boards for from that so i'm going to be playing some more solo at some point in 2020 uh so maybe we'll report back on that later uh but root for me has lived up to all the hype and expectations for an asymmetrical war game that is accessible fun and doesn't take all day to play although it's not a short game by any means it probably is going to take you like at least three hours to play through like you know a four or five player game uh but it's worth it every time i've played it i've had a great time i love me some otters yeah those otters are great all right (laughs) Moving on to number four. <laughs> All right, so number four for me was Brass Birmingham. Cool. That's a good game. I like <laughs> it that game. It is a good game. And uh, probably for the same reason that you talked about, is that like I keep thinking about it. Yeah. It, 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 there's something about it where it just gets in your brain, and you're like, there's not a lot else like that that I've played. Just right. period. And yeah. so I always, yeah, I'm just, there's this part of me that wants to go back and play more of it. I just don't have anybody to play with, Jason. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we played it once and granted we kind of played it a little wrong or at least we, not wrong, like, but we, I think there was one mistake that got made and that affected the game in a way, but it, it didn't derail the experience or right. anything like that. Yeah. Um, there was something about the counting of the cards. Yeah. Yeah. We, you kept missing up. Um, but in any event, like, uh, I, it was really, I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't really like train games. <laughs> And it's not a train game, but it has train game like kind of stuff attached to it. And I'm sort of, you know, hit or miss on Euros. Some of them I really like, and most of the time I'm kind of like, meh, okay. But despite that fact, like this game really kind of got under my skin. Like it was kind of fun. It was fun to play, which is weird for me to say about a Euro game. Usually I'll enjoy like the intellectual challenge or whatever else, but I usually don't say they're fun. Uh, this one's fun. <laughs> it's really um, good. Yeah. I, you know, I like the sort of, uh, I like how the, the money stuff works and I like the, the building and connecting of the different, uh, you know, the different nodes and, and trying to like, you know, how you need to get stuff to ship and all this other kind of stuff. Um, it's, I don't know. It was just, it really just sort of got to me and I, I'd, I'd love to play more of it. There's really big payoffs for what you're doing in the game in ways that often surprise you. Like when you realize, oh, gosh, I just sold this thing and now my income moves up that far and I've got this many victory points from it. And then there's times where you're like, oh, crap, I can't pay for something this turn. So now I'm going in the hole and I'm losing income and stuff like the way that it all works, um, you know, like like 
in in you know like like in like a, a economic system or whatever right like like the way that everything affects everything in that game is really interesting oftentimes can be very punishing but in ways that's really interesting and mm-hmm. also when it works for you and and you're getting benefits out of that whether that's victory points or additional income or money um that's really like that that just hits those dopamine you know like receptors like you know like instantly and Ah, like, it's just, it's really fascinating to try to puzzle out what the best path is for you economically, and it can be a completely different path than the way that your opponent is taking. Um, Even though you're both going to have similar needs, like, when it comes time, when when, in terms of, like, needing the coal or the iron or, you know, like, the common resources in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, like, being able to strategically place a coal mine somewhere where now your opponent has to take coal from you, uh, which... When I first saw that, I was like, that's bad. I don't want you taking my coal, but I do want you taking my coal because when you use up all my coal, I get to flip that thing over and I get right. like you know, a bunch of points for it. Right. So you're, you're helping. You're, you're always benefiting from something in that game. Like it's just this constant sort of like, you know, uh, motion forwards in terms of, you know, like increasing your economic empire and constantly getting like more and more from it. I, I don't know. Like I just. I really like the way that 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 game just sort of like, you know, plows ahead at at, at this pace that makes you feel like there's just this like massive industrial growth, just like there actually was back in the, you know, like the the, the canal and rail ages of the industrial era and everything like that. Um, Like it it does a great job of emulating that with very like typically dry Euro mechanics. Yeah, it warms the cockles of my uh, my yeah. old dead capitalist heart. It, it just looks like it's smeared with coal on the board. If you play with the dark side, and I just love it. Like it just it <laughs> looks like a Dickens novel. It's great. It does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. All right, my fourth game of 2019 is Unmatched. Woohoo! We are in the final stretch of the list, which for me turns out to be the thematic corridor of my list. <laughs> uh, Unmatched, as we said before, does a great job of distilling all that stuff down, yada, yada, yada. Uh, in addition to the things that Jason and I already talked about, it looks phenomenal. The card artwork is top notch. It is unique. It is beautiful. It is worth looking at. And in addition to that, the minis, while there are very few of them, because you only get one mini per faction or whatever character, uh, they're highly produced, highly detailed, and they come with an ink wash on them which makes the detail pop phenomenally you can throw this game in a backpack take it wherever you want it's very portable plays very quickly plays with a very small table footprint um it is ideal for a shorter competitive head-to-head game um can't give it enough props i love it number four unmatched (laughs) number three jason number three number three for me is wingspan hey (laughs) i got it shocking to me because this is not the kind of game that i would go for we're in Jason's Euro Corridor. I know, exactly. Yeah. Um, although I think it, it'll end after this one. But, um, okay, okay. <laughs> but I do have actually quite a, quite a few. I have three Euros on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, actually four if you count Everdell. So, Wingspan. I mean, it's... Okay, a couple things. I don't like birds to, you know, very much. They're fine, but, you know, whatever. They're not that exciting to me. Um, and again, Euros really kind of hit or miss with me. Um, but this game just sort of works. <laughs> um, the, the, you know, how you create your different, uh, different, ha- you know, bird habitats and then, you know, how the, the different birds then also contribute to, uh, you know, the, the stuff that you need to get more birds and create more habitats and get them in the proper nests and, and, and all this kind of stuff. It's just sort of weirdly engaging for me. Um, Plus, I think that it's 
it's a really accessible euro, but one that doesn't sacrifice, uh, you know, depth and and interest in in order to make it accessible. Yeah, it um, feels like one of those easy to learn, you know, uh, not necessarily difficult, difficult to, master. to master, but definitely like a lot of depth to mastering it. You know, yeah. I mean, the first game I can remember being described that way was Othello. Okay. Easy to learn, difficult to master. It was that, in there because they put it on the box, right? Well, yeah, and it was in their like TV commercials and stuff when there used okay. to be TV commercials for board games. This this is better than Othello. <laughs> it is. It's way better than Othello. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I just wish it were about dinosaurs. Sorry. <laughs> I know. But aside from that, um, it's great. It's a fun game. <laughs> For me, I had the same response. I mean, we've talked about yeah, this, we, but like, yeah, I, I had like, the same yeah. reaction. I was like, birds? Who cares about birds? Yeah. And, you know, like that's because I was thinking about the stupid blackbirds that rip at my soffit on the outside of my house every morning. <laughs> and instead of thinking about, like, eagles and, like, you know, falcons and, you know, like... But there's spoon, also, like... Spoonbills and... Vultures and... <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, there's a lot of birds in there that I'm like, oh, wow, I really like this bird. This bird's cool. Like, when I started playing Wingspan, I was surprised at how excited I got at, like, a lot of the bird cards in there. Not to mention for every bird in there the artwork is just phenomenal so that's true um, yeah. even if you don't care for birds they're beautiful birds to look at in this game beautiful Pretty artwork bird. beautiful representation <laughs> so um yep it's it's great it lives up to the hype in every way and exceeds it I think. in every way <laughs> yes all right uh all right, moving on with the uh, my thematic corridor uh <laughs> number three is aeon's end Ooh. uh i believe this is a game that we've talked about so we talked about it the previous Gen Con, Gen Con 2018, uh, yeah, we tried yeah. it out. Um, and we were sort of like, we didn't exactly know how we felt about it after one play. Now, since then, my wife and I have played every version of Aeon's End. We went all in on this game this year. Not all at once, but it was one of those things where we played through all the content in one box, and it's like, oh, there's another box. So <laughs> we went and bought, you know, like Aeon's End War Eternal, and then we bought Aeon's End uh, Legendary or whatever, not Legendary, uh, Legacy. Uh, and then we've since bought the one that came out in Gen Con, uh, which I forget the name of off the top of my head. But uh, every single one of them kind of like um, builds on the mechanics of the previous one and adds a little bit uh, of meaningful but not overwhelming mechanics. Uh, so every one of those is worth getting. I think I mentioned on one of the previous episodes that I feel like War Eternal is actually a really good starting place where you've got slightly more complicated mechanics than the base game, but not to an overwhelming extent. Uh, but Aeon's End is the deck builder that convinced me deck building is not necessarily a bad thing and can be, in fact, a great thing. Uh, because it's a deck builder, but it's a co-op deck builder where you're fighting different nemeses, which are these, like, you know, sort of, like, big bosses. And I believe I described it in one of the previous podcasts as essentially being like wow raid battle the card game right <laughs> where every boss has its own very specific deck mechanics and sometimes non-deck mechanics as well mm. that work completely differently than the next boss that you're going to fight they rank them in terms of complexity and difficulty so you can start like smaller and work your way upwards and every character you're playing as has their own strengths and weaknesses uh you can select random cards to like you know choose as the market that you're building decks from you can choose the exact ones you think might help you take down a very difficult nemesis that you're 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 fighting um and the way that you build out your character's power the way that you like sort of open breaches which allows you to like cast more spells at a time make the spells more powerful there's just so much depth to this game and also the theme just bleeds through phenomenally with the way that the cards work the way that they're named um it does an excellent job of evoking the theme that it is trying to evoke through the card mechanics through the character mechanics and definitely through the nemesis mechanics um it is the best deck builder i've ever played uh by far Wow. And I will stay on record for that for at least a while. Um, I highly <laughs> recommend it if you're looking for Conviction. a co-op, 
or a deck builder. Um, and if you're looking for both, then this is a no-brainer. You should be out there buying it right now. Also, it is not that expensive. You can often find the base game or War Eternal, you know, like pretty deep on sale. Like I'm thinking like 25 bucks or so, 25, 30 bucks. Uh, and even if you pay full price, it's definitely worth it. Only complaint I would ever give is that with many indie card and board games, you sometimes see some issues with production quality uh like you know when, when i got this like there was some damage to like you know a couple of my little like breach tokens or whatever um i think like the insert was just like a bunch of like folded cardboard that wasn't very impressive but aside from those little complaints which are those are small things um like it is just phenomenal it is it is the best deck builder um and an excellent co-op so definitely get out there and get it if you're interested in, in those sorts of things Ooh, high praise for aeon's end it's one of the best <laughs> <laughs> Getting towards the top of the list now, Jason. What do you got at number two? Okay, so number two for me is probably not something you know something that a lot of you have already played. Uh, Gloomhaven. <laughs> I tried it for the first time this year. Feels so weird to be hearing that on the new in twenty nineteen. I know, list, but, I know. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of behind the times on this one, but I, I needed to find like people to play with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so yeah, so I you know I played it. Uh. uh basically um by myself i oh, know there was i think i played with dave anyway i played it when we reviewed it for the podcast um and then since then i actually have a dedicated group of people uh that uh we get together once a month and play uh, a couple scenarios um and i'm enjoying it more and more <laughs> mm-hmm. um i can see that it might get a little tedious um depending on how long this goes on you know it's it's a long game um but at the moment, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying building my character out. Uh, I'm really enjoying, uh, you know, how much we sort of have to work as a team instead of a bunch of individuals. Um, but at the same time, like, being forbidden to communicate in specifics. <laughs> like, you can't say, like, how much damage you can do or how much I can heal you for. But you can say, like, uh, I can heal you or, you know, something like that. Um, so it's sort of... Uh, there's a little bit of mystery involved in that, but you really do have to sort of, you know, think about yourselves as a unit, um, because as, you know, players drop out or become exhausted or whatever, it becomes that much harder to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Uh, the combat system is really great. Um, I It's just it's just a win. And plus, it's like a, you know, fantasy dungeon crawler thing, which is my bread and butter. The uh, the the combat is all represented through card mechanics and the cards that you have in hand diminish over time to show like to represent the exhaustion of your character yeah. as they're like m- working their way through a dungeon. And for me, that has kind of ruined a lot of other dungeon crawlers. Like I think that's part of the problem I had when we played Imperial Assault recently is you're just moving and rolling dice. And for me, that just feels so shallow now because I've been playing Gloomhaven for so long that having these, you know, like different abilities that you're choosing from every turn every turn is different for you in gloomhaven you know like you're never going to do the same action two times in a row and for me that that creates just such a dynamic experience that it it just keeps me engaged throughout the entire game in a way that the older sort of like you know way of doing dungeon crawlers where you just have this many dice you roll when you attack and you do that almost every turn just feels boring now so mm-hmm. in some ways it's ruined the dungeon crawler for me um <laughs> because it 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 has evolved the dungeon crawler in such a profound way that it's almost the only game that I can play in that genre now unless like you know unless they come up with other things that 
uh, evolve the way that dice mechanics work, which maybe we'll get to on my number one spot. So we'll get there. But, <laughs> uh, also, yeah. I briefly have to give a shout out to the app Gloomhaven Helper. So normally, if you play this game with just the stuff in the box, like maintaining, there's a lot of bookkeeping <laughs> involved with, you know, tracking everybody's health and then all the monsters and their abilities and, yeah, you know, pulling cards for them and, and you know, blah, 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 figuring out initiative. Um, Gloomhaven Helper does this all like in an instant. Um, it keeps track of all the monster stuff for you. Um, and you know, you can apply, uh, conditions and remove or add health and in like the click of a button or the touch of an iPad or something. Um, so if you want to streamline your Gloomhaven experience, uh, try out Gloomhaven Helper. Yeah. I, I would also add that if you hate apps like I do, um, the components that come in the game do a better job of allowing you to organize a lot of that stuff that could be very, that is still super unwieldy, uh, better than a lot of other games do. Like when you, when you have like a, you know, like skeleton one, there's a spot for skeleton one on the skeleton one, you know, character sheet to keep track of its damage and, and, and status effects and things like that. So, um, unlike a lot of other games, which are just like, just lay it on the board or whatever, like it, it at least gives you a spot, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like within the base game. So it does a little bit better job than previous games, but if you find that unwieldy, then I could see like going to the app. I just can't stand having to access apps while I'm playing games. It's just one of my pet peeves. So, uh, but yeah, just wanted to add that in there too. Uh, and also, yeah, Gloomhaven's good. <laughs> it remains okay. good i we, we still approve so we, play, we played a lot of it this year uh and continue to so i think we're in our third year of gloomhaven so oh my goodness how yeah. far are you through the oh i don't know we're like uh we're like maybe like 30 scenarios in or something like that maybe oh, more wow. um we, we've done a lot of like replaying to like you know boost certain characters and things like that so do you do any of this well, do you do the side ones side quests yeah or the random quests well either because there's you could do random dungeons which we've never done and oh no a lot we don't of... do that yeah no yeah. the the side quests yeah yeah we do all the side quests oh okay we do everything that's available to us we haven't done much. any of the side quests yet we We've just been yeah doing story anytime we get the impression that there's a side quest scenario that we're or like a you know, like a branched path that we're gonna follow we always exhaust those before we go on like the critical path or what feels like the critical path oh, uh, okay. which oftentimes we've been surprised and been like oh so this wasn't the critical path or there was more than one critical path like that's happened to us too before so mm -hmm. uh, we're not you sometimes think you're on the critical path and you find out you're not sometimes you think you're um you know not on the critical path and you find out that it you know, like loops back into the critical path uh so yeah, there's all kinds of ways that that game works. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. All right. Uh, that was your number two, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, my number two is another recent game. It is Marvel Champions The Card Game, which is a game <laughs> that was revealed at Gen Con, and you and I just completely ignored it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't go look at it. We walked by all the promotional material and the people playing the game, like in the demo section, and I was just like, oh, whatever. It's another LCG. Uh, you know, Fantasy Flight's done a dozen of those, like in the last two mm -hmm. years, it feels like. It's just another Marvel card game, which there's been, you know, like several of those, right? Um, several superhero card games, whatever. And the then as I kept seeing more and more buzz about it, um, I decided to try out the deck mechanics using Tabletop Simulator, and that led to me playing it every night, like five nights in a row. I pre-ordered the game twice um, <laughs> and uh, canceled one of them because I wanted to get it fastest and went and picked it up from my local game shop and have probably played it in excess of 30 times in the last month and a half or whatever. I think I got it in like, um, like late October. It 
I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm a huge superhero guy. You know, grew up with comic books. So there's a lot thematically that works for me in this game. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that's abstracted within the game, like, you know, what the villain is doing. Like, they all have these schemes they're trying to carry out, and that's abstracted to, you know, like a the nth degree. Uh, but still, each hero plays uh, mechanically differently than the other heroes. Each hero's deck is built from, like, a 15-card deck of their specific cards, as well as a certain number of cards you can uh, basically, like, construct from what's called like you know general cards or whatever that can be used for anybody and then each hero can choose an aspect and there's four of those it works similarly to uh arkham horror where you know mm. you've got like four different types of investigators essentially and when you construct your investigator you can choose from one of those four types of like you know uh like investigative or magic or whatever right yeah. um you know like uh fighting ability whatever i don't know what they're called uh but they have that essentially in marvel where they've got like uh justice and uh protection and leadership you know things like that and so you pick uh, a number of from that you construct your deck and then you go after the big bad who has like a number of different like you know like levels of a scheme they go through which affects the game mechanics um and ultimately it just does a great job of creating a very epic experience in a compact package that is maybe a little expensive like it runs 60 dollars msrp but as some people have actually done the math and said that it actually like per card you're getting like you know sort of a, a decent deal for an, a, a fantasy flight LCG that it's actually a better value per card than uh, the base game of Arkham Horror was even with it being at forty dollars because there's more cards in this game, which makes me feel a little better. But when I came home after paying sixty dollars and I was like, okay, I've got five heroes to play and three bad guys, that makes me feel a little weird about the price. But I've played it so much now. I love playing it. We've played it co-op. I've played it solo. It works perfectly both ways. If you're interested in a thematic superhero game, this is not one that you should miss. You should definitely check it out. I don't know that you should necessarily go out and pay full price for it if you're a little on the fence. But if this thing sounds exciting to you, uh, I would just get it as fast as I could because I think that it's it's a phenomenal uh, it's a phenomenal step forward for the LCG format. And it works phenomenally at emulating what it feels like to be Spider-Man as far as you can get through card play, right? Or <laughs> Iron Man or whatever. Like, it, 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 it makes you feel like you're in a very specific situation. So when I'm playing Iron Man, like, he has uh, a mechanic where you can, like, search your deck for, um, like, parts of his armor. And you're basically spending the whole game, like, scrambling to get your armor on. And you feel very vulnerable until you do. And then you just feel like a powerhouse. And it's just amazing. It's just cool like sort of arc you go through emotionally while playing that game um so i i and, and every hero has their own thing it's it's really cool um i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring at least a couple of the heroes with me I'm, i might bring the whole box if i can consolidate it down into something packable but that's coming with me to boston in a couple weeks so you're gonna play it with me and maybe we'll do a full <laughs> episode on it because i think it's definitely worth checking out okay awesome looking forward yep. to it all right jason <laughs> number one the <laughs> best game of 2019 according to jason <laughs> okay so my number one is root <laughs> hey wow hey. that's really yeah. high it is i was thoroughly charmed by this game did you buy it yet no i i've sort of been holding off but, should i bring um, it i mean sure if you want <laughs> It's your number one game. game. You're just sure? <laughs> I mean, we have so many games to play. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I mean, like, you know, we're already excited about playing Twilight Imperium. And, you know, like, if you're That's really true. excited about playing Root, maybe I should bring it. Maybe. Well, I'm okay. Well, maybe I'll buy it between now and then if I can find it. Okay. And if not, I'll let you know and you can bring it. Okay. Um. But anyway, yeah. So, like, as I was saying, like, it, it was, I was absolutely charmed by this game uh, it's uh it, it's like <laughs> it's like woodland critters like cute woodland critters um in this like 
you know, fight to the death <laughs> for control over over the Woodland Kingdom. Planning um, coups and guerrilla attacks. I know! And it's like, it's such a, like, a, a strange combination of things. Um, but not only, like, is the is the setup, like, weird and interesting, but the different factions, like, are all so coherently envisioned, and the mechanics that they use um, interact so well with each other within factions, and then also can really effectively be used against the other factions. Um, that it's just, uh, it, it all comes together in like this very nice, uh, but also brutal package. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just really cute, um, and deadly. It, um, it should be played by everybody. I think everybody should try to play Root at some point. It, it feels to me like one of the new sort of, um, you know, like, put it on a pedestal this is one of the examples of what board games can do and if you're going to try to like explain why board games are so special in terms of like a hobby it's one of those games that could be used as an example of war gaming uh as one of those right yeah yeah for sure yeah um, and and calling it war gaming also feels like a little off because it's not a true war game yeah it's you know, um, there's no like hexes and chits and stuff but you're definitely warring <laughs> right yeah that yeah <laughs> a conflict driven game Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and everybody starts off from like such a different position. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cats have full control of the forest. Right. The birds are like, you know, like down in the other opposite corner, just in that one spot, you know, like it's, yeah. Uh, like I think the, uh, the, the Woodland Alliance doesn't even have a presence on the board when they start. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't yeah. remember anyway, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, it makes me want to play again. It, when it, ma- it makes me want to play like all the different factions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's worth doing. It's a great game. Indeed it is. Yes. All right. My all right, number, number one. one game of 2019 that was new to me uh, is, are you done with Root, by the way? Yeah. Just well, I mean, I'll like never, so. never be done with Root, but. I meant your comments, but. Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about it before. My number one game of 2019 is Street Masters <laughs> by Blacklist Games. This is a game that I grabbed at Gen Con. Uh, I didn't think it was even going to be available there. I had been, like, you know, doing some searching to find out if I could get a copy because it was a Kickstarted game that I missed out on. Uh, didn't even know it existed. And then when I found out there was a game that uses the mechanics of Sentinels of the Multiverse while adding actual boards and figures and dice... Uh, and is basically thematically a um, recreation sort of of uh, like Street Fighter games, like uh, like like Street Fighter Tekken, like those those like 1990s like sort of like fighting games. Like it uses characters that are all sort of amalgamations of those types of characters. Uh, it, it just like struck me thematically in, in a way that was was really resonant. Like I loved those games. I still love those games. Um, you know, I'm not like a pro at them or anything like that, but like I have a lot of love for Street Fighter. I have a lot of love for Mortal Kombat. Uh, and this game uses those types of characters. They're all sort of like pastiches of those characters. Gives them very specific decks, just like Sentinels of the Multiverse has for its different heroes in Sentinels of the Multiverse. They all work very differently. And in, in addition to that, it adds dice mechanics for how you actually roll both defenses and attacks. Um, and 
different decks or different uh, stages that you're playing on that have different sort of like uh, each stage has its own deck, just like the environments and Sentinels of the Multiverse do. So that adds a lot of theme and a lot of variability to the way that it plays. In addition to using different enemies, you choose different enemy groups that go out and they have a different boss with each group and they all have their own deck and then they all play differently. And so when you're mixing and matching all these different levels and bosses and characters um, and there's like different synergies between the characters and your character like sort of like charges up power as you're like making different attacks and defending and stuff and then eventually you can unleash your ultimate attack and that just feels awesome every time <laughs> every character just feels super unique has really fun deck mechanics that work both really well both with just the deck playing and the dice this just hit every cylinder for me and just surprised me at how just sort of like obsessed I was with playing it when I brought it home uh, it comes with light campaign style play that has like some uh, you know like some light upgrades you can get with your characters but even if you read the rule book so like there's like upgraded versions of different attacks and, and abilities on the cards and stuff that you can add in like as you power up your character through the campaign but even in the rule book they're like hey if you just want to add all these cards in and play in what we call like you know ex alpha mode or whatever you can just do that like they're just giving <laughs> you the blessing to just do whatever essentially with this game and i love that i love that this game is just completely 100 about decent mechanics supporting a really awesome theme and a very fun experience um for me it hit every cylinder it hit the the, the mechanics work beautifully uh the variability works beautifully uh and and the theme just works for me personally extremely well. So Street Masters for me has become a little bit of it became a little bit of an obsession for a while and while I've definitely obsessed over Marvel Champions the card game as well, I feel like Street Masters edges it out just a little bit because of the variability that you can have there uh, a little bit more longevity with like a little bit more characters, more more levels to explore more villains to uh, fight uh, and then in addition to that you've got the you know the component of the, the board and the actual figures and, and positioning and everything matters in this game. So I feel like while street masters and marvel champions are sort of you know similar in terms of being co-op slash solo experiences that uh work very thematically with my interests uh street masters edges it out a little bit uh just because of those additional things so for me that is my favorite game of the year hands down um I highly recommend it. Uh, the Saddler Brothers that designed it also recently uh, kickstarted a couple of the games, Alter Quest, which is sort of like a uh, a pastiche of Hero Quest in some ways, and some other fantasy games. And then more, even more recently, they did their own superhero game. Uh, so you know, if you're interested in that, uh, those are out there. Go look for them. So I had a feeling that this would be uh, that's somewhere near the top of your list. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, so yeah, that is our favorite games. Those are our favorite games of 2019. Uh, highly recommend trying those out. They might be decent purchases if you're listening to this before Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, and you'd like to get some purchases, some, some presents for somebody. Uh, if those sound like good matches for the people you're purchasing for, then, you know, those are our recommendations. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Any, uh, any one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Any one of the games on this list is phenomenal. So definitely. Pure uh, gold. <laughs> all right. Jason, I'm going to be out in Boston in a week and a half, and yeah. we're going to be doing a bunch of gaming. Are we taking a week off between now and then? Uh, Sure. Sure. So we're going to take next Sunday off, uh, and then we'll be back the following Sunday. Uh, with something, okay, because I will be out in Boston and we'll be recording in person, I think. 
so we'll either be talking about one of the games that we're going to play while I'm out there, um, and we've also got a couple of the games on the list that we could do. We could record in between now and then if we have to get it out, and then maybe do the the sort of like, you know, in-person recording a week later. But uh, yeah. So I think we're either going to have something that we're going to be playing out there, or we're going to be talking about the Sherlock Files. Because <laughs> uh, there's not a lot else left on our list right now, and Sherlock yeah. Files and Munchkin is about it. So, uh, <laughs> Munchkin. Yeah, I put it on the list. All right. <laughs> it's possible. We'll see. Uh, so, <laughs> so hopefully this extra long episode tides you over for an extra week because we're going to take one off and we'll see you in two weeks when I am out in Boston. Yeah. All Exciting. right. Mm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy hol- well, We're not there yet. Uh, <laughs> not yet. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Bye. Bye.